Hey there everyone, this is David Cohen and welcome to TechFan number 25. As you can probably hear by the slightly stilted delivery I'm delivering tonight, I'm recording on my own, Tim isn't with me this week. Um, those of you who were listening last week will recall that, that Tim had work commitments this week that meant he wasn't going to be able to record with me. And so he's left the podcast in my less than capable hands. So if I sound a little bit strange, a little bit off, then that's because I'm normally used to uh, bouncing off Tim and frankly relying on him as well. He's been doing this a lot longer than I have and it comes a lot more naturally to him, I think, sometimes. And um, I'll probably spend at least the first five, ten minutes being a little bit self-conscious until I kind of relax and get away from that. So I apologise for that in advance and um, hopefully very soon normal service will be resumed and Tim, myself and whoever else we happen to have on the show will be bouncing off the tech industry, picking it up by a scruff of the neck and giving it a good old shake and seeing what falls out of its pockets. So that leaves me with coming up for tonight's topics and um, probably going to be a slightly shorter show than normal um, just because I am sitting here talking myself and I really don't want to... I know the show's not going to have the same kind of energy it has when uh, when Tim and I are doing it together, so I don't want to bore you for too long. There are a few things I want to talk about that hopefully you'll find interesting. Uh, and certainly the main section of the show is going to be... Um, I'm going to be talking about some of the technical gadgets that, that I've been playing around with recently. Obviously, as a, as a tech fan, um, I'm always on the lookout for new gadgets. I don't have a limitless supply of money, unfortunately. So um, I tend to mix and match between stuff that I think is good value and is new on the market, together with stuff that, that's been around for a while and maybe kind of got got left on the pile when uh, when the industry moved on. So um, I'm going to be talking about a few things that, that really I've been using quite a lot recently. Um, as I say, some stuff that's older, some stuff that's new. Uh, but these are all things that I found useful, and uh, I thought it might be interesting to, to talk about them, talk about uh, what I value from these particular products, and uh, whether those might be of interest to you. But before we get on to that, um, I've just got something I, I really want to get off my chest. Uh, it's the weekend uh, after April Fool's Day, as I recalled this. And um, obviously April Fool's Day, April 1st, is... Um, has become a bit of a media event in the um, certainly on the internet, uh, particularly in the tech industry, um, and it kind of winds me up a little bit. Really, I, I'm not a curmudgeonly sort of guy. I like to think I'm fairly fairly easygoing, and I I love humour and I love a joke just as much as the next person, really. Um, but <laughs> I guess the, the key thing, really, with humour is it has to be funny, and I just find the last couple of years that the effort that goes into some of the blog sites for April Fool's Day is a little bit strained. I kind of get the impression that everyone feels they have to do something, they have to run a spoof story. And um seems to me, from seeing what's going on out there, that a lot of people are running out of ideas. And the uh, things they're doing are increasingly becoming uh, kind of lame and stupid. There's this whole problem with April Fool's Day that uh, effectively for a whole day you can't read the news um, because you can't believe anything you read you never know what's a joke and what isn't and because of the kind of hit and miss nature of some of the recording and um, plotting that goes on into um, coming up with these uh, pranks as, a, as they, they like to be called um, you just don't know what you're reading what you're hearing whether it's real or not 
um, and I I've got, haven't got the kind of time to a lot of the time to dig through and figure out whether it's real or not. For me, a, a good prank, whether it be April Fool's Day or anything else, is something that fools you or kind of gets you to buy into it right from the off. But then as you work through it or a period of time passes, you realise that perhaps it's a little bit too fanciful, a little bit too unbelievable. Uh, and the punchline of a prank is figuring out that it's a prank. And the problem is, I think most of the people on the internet are so busy coming up with their great idea and trying to sell it that they kind of miss that bit. And that's actually the funny part. Um, it's realising you've been fooled that actually makes a prank funny. And unfortunately, most of the people who do these things kind of really don't bother with that. Yeah, I mean, there's various ways you can approach it. You can kind of start with something that's fairly plausible, and then as you read through it or work through it, you realise it's becoming more and more left field to the point that it then becomes implausible, and you realise then that, that it's an April first joke or it's a prank. Or alternatively, what you can do is you can you can play the thing and you can play it straight, and uh, then at some point after that, you can let somebody know it's the prank. Difficulty with a, a kind of a story on the internet is you can't actually really do that because you can't contact everyone who's read the story and, and say, oh, by the way, did you know it was April 1st? Or did you know it was a prank? Or we just fooled you, you know, I hope you got you. Um, and so what you end up with is the people who just can't really find that balance. So they'll either start with something that's particularly insane right from the off and is so unbelievable that you don't buy into it and... Uh, Unofficial Apple weblog um, certainly played that that card this year with a story about, um, I think it was iWarp, which was a matter transport system. Um, and right from the beginning, um, you weren't really you weren't really going for it because obviously that's just so completely incredible, and uh, that's just not funny. I'm sorry, uh, it's not really a matter of opinion. I just don't think that uh, coming up with something that's that's completely implausible right from the off is actually a prank at all. I think it's just somebody trying to really scrape the bottom of the humour barrel, if you like. Um, then there were other ones that um, kind of were were so uh, trying to play it so straight that again they weren't funny because um, they kind of they they just seem to be like like well it's just another news story. If you don't realise there's the punchline, you don't realise there's the prank involved, then kind of you've missed the point, in my opinion anyway. And uh, there were plenty of those um, all over the internet on April 1st. And, and really the problem is, is that when you get to a point where you're reading for the news, um, you're reading your RSS readers or you're listening to podcasts um, to uh, be informed, that's not an environment really when you necessarily want to get entertained with a prank and so if everyone's doing it and therefore you can't really believe anything you read because you don't know what the level of humor is going to be and whether somebody's just playing a straight story and just thinking it's, it's kind of funny when in fact you're reading it thinking it's real um and you never get the punchline of the prank you never get the full view moment then um i just don't see what the point of that is and, and i was reading on twitter and there was loads of people on um, Friday who were saying, oh, basically, I just can't trust anything I read. And even other bloggers and journalists saying they couldn't trust any press releases they were, they were receiving. Uh, and really kind of, what's the point of that? What's the real benefit to uh, us as a society um, for the fact that you have a whole day when a particular 
um, particular part of, of an industry is kind of paralysed by the fact they can't trust what anybody's saying to them, even more so than normal. Um, now, you know, obviously all of that sounds could be argued to be, and maybe it is a little bit curmudgeonly, a little bit, um, you know, kind of lacking in fun. But uh, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but um, as I say, I do enjoy a joke. But if everyone's trying to make a joke all at the same time, and that kind of becomes the whole point for a 24-hour period, or maybe even longer, because with time zones and the global nature of the internet, means that even well after the unofficial uh, timeline of, of April Fool's pranks not being able to be played, which is midday, it's generally accepted to be the uh, the time you've got to get them in before midday if you want to do a, an April Fool's pranks. But of course, I'm there five six o'clock in the afternoon here in the UK, and um, it's not midday everywhere, so I still can't trust anything I'm reading until well into the following day. And uh, it just kind of well, it took it took some pleasure for me out of one of my favourite pastimes, which is keeping up with with what's going on in the tech news. Uh, and um, I'm just wondering if it, if as a practice it's now kind of getting a bit out of control and out of hand i do have to um mention one though there was one that i actually did quite enjoy i recognized it straight away as a, as a prank um but nevertheless i thought it was it was clever it was well played and um like some of the best pranks i think uh, you kind of think well maybe it would be good if this were real and that was uh, think geek who normally do a good one they did a, a great one last year which was a an arcade console that took an iPad and was running a copy of MAME so that you could play old arcade games. And it was so well received and they received so many fake uh, or attempted orders for the hoax products that I believe they're actually trying to put it into production now because uh, there was obviously a real market for that for it there. This year they went with a um, Playmobil Apple Store. Playmobil, for those of you who don't have children, is uh, kind of those little... They're they're a bit like Lego Lego action figures, but not they're not made of Lego. But they're kind of the same sort of concept. They're cast plastic little figures, uh, kind of cutesy. And uh, the thing with Playmobil is that you get these figures, but you also get all these sets of environments that you can pose and play with the figures in. So you get fire stations and hospitals and um police stations and kind of that sort of thing and so think geek did a um a spoof hoax advert for a playmobile apple store playset which was very well done you know they had a multi-level store with all the um all the desks with all the products on and the kind of the postage you would normally expect to see an apple store a little kind of playmobile genius bar um and even um it was a multi-level set so even upstairs they had a a uh, Playmobil theatre, uh, Apple Store theatre, which um, they claimed you could put your iPhone into so that uh, and run a special app so that it would deliver um, presentations to the to the Playmobil um, cast of your of your Apple Store, and they even had a little Steve Jobs um, in there who could you could put and pretend he was delivering a keynote in this Apple Store, and then they said there was an, an add-on pack that you could get, which was a line of punters queuing up outside the store for the latest apple product it was all kind of you know a pretty good spoof on the whole ipad 2 uh, hysteria that's been going on for the last couple of weeks and um you know typically as you might might expect for a uh, a product that that was being offered with the apple logo on it it was actually fairly expensive for um for what was being 
what was being given there. They put the premium price tag on. Uh, and funnily enough, you know, I did, um, I did see several people commenting on that uh, perhaps if this was a real product, maybe a little bit cheaper than the uh, the uh, premium price that ThinkGeek uh, put on the hoax, uh, it would be something they might be interested in buying. So uh, probably never happened because they never get the licensing to work. But uh, still, it was an interesting one. And, and that one did amuse me. And um, um, because it's on a shopping site and it's um, it's probably not the... Uh, not the end of the world if you kind of get fooled by that one. Um, and uh, once you click on the buy button, then you're you're given the punchline that it's a hoax, that it's a prank. And um, to me, that's the best way that an April Fool's gag should work. But um, if you think different, and I'm sure plenty of people do, because that's um, just my opinion, then uh, let us know, see what you think. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to take a break now. We'll put in an ad to uh, pay the bills, and um, I'll be right back. Okay, and I'm back. Uh, and uh, obviously, I was talking about commercials. We don't do commercials here on TechFan. We're not a sponsored podcast. But I do hope that uh, whatever other audio entertainment that Tim put into that break there for you to the tempted buy is something that you'll go and download immediately. Okay, back to the scheduled program. Um, as I said uh, when I first started here, what I'd like to do is run through a few products that I've been using recently that kind of have really helped me out. They're, they're real cool, technical, geeky type products. Um, and I'll talk about what I use them for, what I get out of them, what I value them for, and uh, also where you can potentially get hold of them. So the first thing I'd like to discuss is a stand for the iPad. This is from a company called, well, they were called HyperMac. They're now called either HyperShop or HyperJuice. And the reason I'm unsure on that is because they were actually sued by Apple. Um, they make batteries, and that's their main product line. They do have kind of other things as well, but... Um, principally what they make is add-on batteries and they make batteries for the iPhone and the iPod line um, they make this HyperMac stand that I'm going to talk about for the iPad um, and one of their big things and I've seen them at Macworld doing this before is they uh, make batteries for the laptops and what they used to do was they would um, basically buy up uh, Apple AC adapters and cut off the MagSafe connectors and put those onto their batteries so that you could plug the battery straight into the laptop, uh, an Apple laptop, and uh, give it a juice, juice boost. And, um, you know, they have some pretty big batteries that will kind of run your laptop for about 70 hours or something like that, if that's what you really want. And uh, very successful, um, won Macworld Awards as in its products and everything, but kind of Apple took a dim view of them um, reselling effectively MagSafe uh, connectors. And so uh, they sued them. And um, HyperMac did not last long in the lawsuit. They settled with Apple. And the terms of the settlement were not only that they had to stop selling the MagSafe adapters, but also what they had to do was stop using Mac in their name. So um, they are now not HyperMac. They are um, HyperJuice or HyperShop, depending on where you look on the internet. Uh, it looks like they haven't really kind of settled on their branding yet. So um, I would uh, search for either... HyperShop or HyperJuice if you want to try and find these products. And obviously, um, for everything I'm talking about tonight, I'll put uh, 
I'll link in the show notes to point you in the right direction. So uh, don't worry too much about tracking these things down. But what I got was the HyperMac um, stand. My one actually does say HyperMac on the label, so I'm going to keep on referring to that, and uh, Apple's lawyers can come and hunt me down if they so wish. Um, the HyperMac stand for the iPad is pretty cool. It's um, kind of a black plastic rubberized stand with two slots in it um, that are basically can take a, an, an iPad in either portrait or landscape mode. Um, and the slots effectively are just supporting the iPad by friction. They kind of cut at two angles. So you have um, one angle that you would use for viewing content on your iPad. It keeps the iPad a bit more vertical. Uh, and then there's one where the iPad is a bit more... Um, kind of tilted backwards so you can type on it and um, you can kind of use it as a, as a work stand effectively while you're typing. The, the slots in this um, in this uh, battery, uh, this this battery device are quite wide and quite deep. So, you, I mean, I have a quite uh, hefty rubberized case on my iPad and yet it still sits in the slots very nicely. Um, doesn't fall out, doesn't move at all and also isn't uh, too tight in the slots it fits in and out very nicely um and the cool thing about this stand is uh while it's not particularly large it's probably about i don't know maybe three four inches wide and probably five six inches uh five maybe four, four five inches deep um but the cool thing about it is that it actually is a big battery as well as being a stand uh, it has a usb slot on the side um which is used for either charging it up or um, discharging it to your iPad or other device, to be honest, because it's a USB socket. You can use use it to charge anything. Uh, the battery is pretty large. It will pretty much completely recharge an iPad from flat. Uh, it has one of these, um, just like on some of the Mac laptops, it has a, a little button with a set of green LEDs that lights up to show how much charge is left in the battery. Um, and basically, you can just plug this puppy in and charge it up and... Um, then have your iPad in it and uh, just plug your iPad cable from the uh, battery straight into your iPad dock connector and you're away. Or alternatively, you can charge something else with it, like your um, your iPhone, for instance, or anything that runs off USB. I sometimes use it to recharge my MiFi. So if I'm browsing on the iPad using the MiFi, and the MiFi's got a pretty tiny battery, only lasts about probably about three hours from full charge. So if you're, you know, doing a long journey and using the MiFi, then that's not going to cut it. So it's nice to be able to plug the MiFi into the uh, HyperMac battery socket and um, keep keep that charge. And the, the, the battery in the HyperMac is so large that um, even with uh, ch- recharging the MiFi, it still has plenty of juice to give the iPad a top up if it's necessary. Now you may be thinking, well, you know, why why should you need to? The iPad's such, got such great battery life. Why should you need to carry a battery with you? Um, but I find that because the iPad has great battery life, that's why I sometimes need to charge it in uh, travel situations much more than my iPhone. To be honest, my iPhone battery um, is is pretty good. Lasts me a full day, but not more than a full day. So I'm in the habit of charging my my iPhone every night. My iPad, it doesn't. I don't need to charge it every night. If I use it only a few hours a day, then it will last three, four days. But the problem is, if I don't charge it, and then I have to go on a trip, which is going to last me maybe six, seven hours, say on a train journey or something like that, um, and I'm busy, so I don't have a chance to charge the iPad while I'm using it and traveling around, then it will run flat because um, I haven't pre-charged it before I, I take that trip. 
Uh, and that's when the hypermap becomes invaluable because I always keep that charged and that means I can always top off my iPad if I'm doing uh, a long journey or a long trip. And the fact is it's it's not particularly heavy. Uh, it comes in a nice, uh, a nice neat little bag with a, a USB charging cable. And um, so that means I can carry it with me whenever I go and use it as a stand even if I'm not using the battery function of it. So uh, all in all, a pretty great product. Um, well thought out, I think. Um, not too um, unreasonably priced, given the um, given the utility of what you're getting in there. Um, let me just have a look. It's uh, currently running at $129, reduced from $149 on a sale at the moment. Now, it seems to have been on, in that sale for, for a while now, and I think probably $129 is a good price. $149 is perhaps getting a little bit pricey for something like this. So, um, yeah, the HyperMac... Um, battery for the iPad does work with the iPad too worth mentioning um, and so uh, so yeah check it out that's pretty good okay I promised you some old stuff and some as well as some new stuff so let's talk about something that's a little bit older now quite a lot older actually this dates back probably around eight nine years um, a bit of background I've been uh, I bought a pile of iMacs off eBay that are um, G3 iMacs the original um, kind of Bondi Blue iMac and so on um, I've got 20 of them and uh, bought them in different states of repair and uh, condition these are all basically ex-school machines that got passed on to a guy who bought a warehouse and found them in the warehouse didn't want them so he didn't know what to do with them so he's been selling them in lots and so I ended up with 20 of these things and I've been cleaning them up and polishing them up and then um installing an OS on them and selling as kind of student machines or kids machines on eBay and um, it's been a lot of fun. The problem is is that these machines all need a slightly different software load on depending on what exactly the processor and the memory in them is. Uh, hard drive sizes also vary from anything up from between 6 to 40 gig. So I needed a way of getting a standard image onto these things. Um, didn't want to have to reinstall uh, on each one that was going to take too much time and a lot of the optical drives they vary between CD and DVD and some of them don't work too well as well so I really didn't want to be um, installing each one manually so I wanted a Firewire drive as they all have Firewire ports and will boot from a Firewire drive I figured that I had Firewire then what I could do is just boot off the drive run Carbon Copy Cloner and um, copy an image over difficulty is of course is that i need several different types of image and um i have a firewire drive but it's not really big enough for multiple images and i kind of figured that managing multiple images on a single drive could be fraught with uh, a little bit of danger in that if i got it wrong then i could copy the wrong image over and waste a lot of time so i was looking for something alternative and i came up with um a product from iomega called the peerless drive now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Iomega were very big in, uh, well, they're still a big storage company, but they had a massive hit. Their first product was the Iomega Zip Drive, which was, this was around, kind of around, um, God, it must have been 93, uh, maybe a little bit later, 96, 97, very big in the Mac community, certainly, but um, I was into PCs back then, and we all had them too. Um, it was a 100 megabyte floppy drive, effectively and um, used a dedicated um, drive and uh, then these cartridges that were 100 megabytes uh, and they were everywhere because at the time 
the floppy drive, which was also very big, um, only had 1.44 megabytes of capacity. And uh, iOmega made really good business out of the Zip until the uh, CD came along and the advent of cheap CD writers effectively killed their market. And what they did after that is they tried to innovate their way out of the loss of the zip drive by inventing further storage technologies. And they tried everything. They were doing tapes and but new e-drives, which were kind of like uh, special types of optical spinning drive. And they had something called the Jazz, which was, uh, you know, use the guts of a hard drive, but um, the electronics were in the... In the, the um, in the drive you bought, and then the cartridges had part of the hard drive in. There was there was all different types of things they were doing, and uh, none of them really um, ha- met the success of the Zip. Uh, and nowadays, if you see Ionica drives, they're basically USB drives, just like everyone else makes, um, which is kind of sad, really. But uh, back in about 2001, 2002, they came up with this system called Peerless. And Peerless was effectively a... Um, sort of three-way mechanism for taking laptop hard drives and plugging them into a computer. So the peerless system is a base that has a, an interface on it, uh, in this case FireWire. You can get USB, but don't be tempted to buy the USB one because it's only USB 1.1 and is dog slow, and uh, so not really worth looking at. But the FireWire one is FireWire 400, is great. The, so that's the base interface unit, and then you, you kind of uh, plug a, a, a kind of a receptacle into the top of that, the kind of the drive itself, um, that has a little LCD on the front and a, a very nice blue iOmega logo that flashes. And um, into the top of the base, you plug the cartridges, and the cartridges are effectively uh, laptop hard drives in a um, dedicated, uh, resilient plastic chassis. Um, very tough um, and you basically slot them into the top of that like kind of like it's a piece of toast in a toaster uh, and it settles down and um, I Omega made these things in 10 gigabyte and 20 gigabyte capacities never went any larger than that because before they killed it off um, and I found this on eBay for not very much money at all I think they, I paid £25 perhaps maybe a little bit less than that for a, a box um, drive and interface unit um, that was pretty much brand new and never been used and then the cartridges because they're only laptop cartridge, uh, laptop hard drives in these shells um, there's loads of guys on eBay selling these things remanufactured uh, for not very much money at all I think they're about um, I was paying about £5 a piece for them um, so I bought three or four of them and these absolutely do the job for my um, iMac project because I can have a different image on each one. Um, I can label them up and uh, put them all together so I know which which image is on which, um, which uh, peerless cartridge. Uh, and then when I come to image my iMac, I just uh, plug in the base to the FireWire port in the iMac, choose the appropriate um, peerless cartridge, and then uh, you know boot off that and, uh, and image it to the machine. Uh, and it absolutely does the job. So... Um, now, obviously, nowadays uh, a USB thumb drive will uh, you can buy sixteen thirty-two gig USB thumb drives for not very much money at all, and that will, in terms of price performance, uh, will probably run rings around a peerless. Um, but the advantage the peerless has is that it's completely portable. Um, it breaks down into the component parts. It's powered off the FireWire port, and you can't get USB drives. Uh, you can't get thumb drives. Um, for FireWire ports, 
And um, if you're doing anything with old machines, you'll find that the USB ports on these iMacs, for instance, are only USB 1.1, which it just isn't good enough. It's so slow compared to USB 2 that it's just not good enough for any sort of um, file storage um, or um, large file moving around um, situations at all. It's just so slow. It takes forever. Um, and you also can't boot off... Uh, so you certainly can't boot Macs off these USB 1.1 ports, and I'm pretty sure if you find a PC with only USB 1.1, it won't boot off that either. Um, Macs will boot off a Firewire drive, and while PCs won't, um, if you do find a PC with Firewire ports in, that does mean you have a fast way of moving data in and out of the machine. And so having a, a portable kind of caddy system that allows you to get 10 or 20 gigabytes accessible to a machine with a Firewire port is, to me, is pretty useful. Uh, and certainly um, the peerless system makes more financial sense to me than buying multiple Firewire 400 interface drives, uh, external drives, which, um, you know, Firewire itself is probably on the way out with the advent of Thunderbolt in the Mac. Um, so it's probably not the sort of thing you necessarily want to invest in is having a, a large portable Firewire drive. Um, so if you do have a need for something like this, um, you might be worth scouring eBay and seeing if you can find a, a peerless system because... Um, I said I've been pretty impressed with it. It works really well and um, absolutely does the job. And in some ways, I kind of think it's a bit of a shame it never took off. But there you go. That's technology for you. Okay, on to something new again now. And um, this is a camera. Um, I'm a big camera nut. I love my uh, Nikon DSLR. And um, I'm a big fan of... Um, SLRs in general. The difference between a, a standard compact camera and an SLR is SLR stands for single lens reflex and basically what that means is that when you look through the viewfinder in SLR you're actually looking through the lens. Um, there's a mirror in the way that kind of reflects the light from the lens up into the viewfinder so you're actually seeing what the camera is going to see. Um, and uh, SLRs because they are kind of more professional kit than your typical compact camera um, you know, these are the these are the the old based on the old technology that film cameras used to use, the professional thirty five mm film film cameras. So, when you hit the shutter button, that mirror slaps up out of the way and exposes the sensor. And um, because the sensors are bigger and more capable and get a lot more light from these big lenses um, than you, on a compact camera, you can get very very good sharp images, even at lowish resolutions on the digital SLR. Uh, and also because there's mechanics involved in the system um, rather than electronic shutters and processing, that means that they also, um, you know, are fairly low on battery life, uh, fairly good on battery life, and also shoot pictures fairly quickly, uh, much more quickly than you get with a compact. But they are large. They are certainly uh, all that mechanics that you require in the... Mirror system mean that um, even the smallest SLR, and I have a D40, which is is not the smallest, but it's one of the smallest, uh, Nikon D40. Um, they're not the sort of thing you can slip into a pocket by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so I've been looking for a while at, at something a little bit smaller, so that when I am, you know, kind of working and I just want to have a camera with me, I don't have to have be carrying a big SLR but I have something that's a bit more compact that uh, can maybe slip in the top of a rucksack and uh, is a little bit more easy to carry around. Um, and uh, I've been toying with the idea of buying something called a 
you know, some of these bridge cameras or high-end compact cameras that kind of does perform as much, as nearly as well as an SLR and certainly has some of the manual features of an SLR, but um, not with the same level of bulk and that sort of thing. And I've looked at these for about three, four years now and never really seen one that kind of caught my eye as something that I really uh, thought I could go for. There was too many compromises until I, I became aware of a new camera from Sony called the uh, Sony NEX5. Uh, I ended up buying one of these and I've been really, really pleased with it. So the idea with the NEX5 is that Sony has a sensor in this camera that's pretty much the same size as the sensor you would get in an SLR. But what they've done is they've eliminated the mirror system. So um, there's no viewfinder and uh, there's an electronic screen on the back and you're looking... Um, through you're looking at the screen uh, to see what the camera sees on its sensor much as you do with a, a compact camera however this um, body on the NEX5 has uh, a special lens mount that allows you to change the lenses and there's a limited amount of interchangeable lenses um, from Sony that you can use with this camera and that's kind of nice because sometimes you know you want a zoom lens but there are other times when you maybe want a, a wide angle lens that's that's faster that can be can work better in low light uh, and so having an interchangeable lens system means that you can potentially get that um, so that's good um, but what I really like about this camera is it's really small the body is not not much bigger than an ordinary compact now the lens on the front of it is much bigger than you would get on a compact um, but um, it's still the overall package is a fair bit smaller than the SLR but because it has that big sensor, um, Sony have concentrated on getting performance that's very similar to an SLR out of this camera, and I've really been jazzed about the images. The camera works pretty fast. It's not as fast as an SLR in terms of shot-to-shot -shot, uh, and power-up time, but it's not far away, um, and it's certainly faster than many of the, uh, the cheaper compacts down at the lower end of the market. Uh, in terms of shot to shot time, what have you. The pictures it takes are phenomenal. The image quality is fantastic because it has that big sensor. And the advantage of a big sensor means that you can take pictures down at low light, um, which is something I like to do. I'm not a big lover of flash. So um, I like to be able to take pictures when it's fairly dark, certainly darker than a compact camera would be happy with, um, by you know winding up the aperture and really... Uh, you know, getting a good exposure onto a sensor. And the uh, NEX5 lets you do that, does it very well. In fact, it has lots of features in that are really aimed at helping you with that. The the, um, the lens that they supply with the camera is uh, image stabilised. That means it, it uh, compensates for any shake in the hand, uh, which is pretty important when you're taking a low-light picture because the shutter tends to be open for longer. So it effectively um, adjusts the lenses using accelerometers to try and compensate for shake. Uh, but also, because it's a compact style camera, it has a lot of the electronic features that uh, most compacts have that you don't see on an SLR. So it has things like face detection. Uh, it can do some clever stuff, like it can combine multiple shots to give you a, a higher exposure range than you would get normally. So you can get those HDR-style photos that kind of have a really wide range of, um, of of exposure level more than you can get with a single shot camera it can do panoramic shots uh, with auto stitch so if you're uh, want to take a big panorama you can kind of just swivel the camera around uh, holding the shutter button down it will take multiple shots and then join them together in the camera so to give you one big picture um, 
and it shoots video, which while many SLRs are coming with that now, um, there's a few compromises associated with that. And this is actually a really nice HD video camera as well. So um, it's a really great little unit. And, um, you know, I've not uh, I've not had a Sony camera before, but I've really been kind of pleased with it. Um, it's not cheap, um, but it is cheaper than most SLRs. So if you're looking for a um, SLR-style camera but still want to retain the uh, ease of use and familiarity of a compact, then the NEX5 is something you might want to have a look at. So, uh, as I say, I'll post a link to that in the show notes and uh, check it out. Maybe go down to your local camera store and have a play with it and see what you think. Okay, um, one final item now before I wrap up for the evening. Um, this is also camera-related, so... Uh, Apologies if you're not really into photography, but, uh, you know, I kind of can only talk about what I know. And the situation I found myself a few weeks ago was that um, my wife was going away on a trip. And she has a compact camera that she, a little Canon Ixis that she loves very much. But she said to me, she said, have you got um, a larger card for it? She only has a two gig card in hers and she likes to shoot a lot of video. And so she can fill a card up fairly quickly. Um, and I did have, and I, I can, but I kind of, um, you know, I sort of said, well, like, yeah, I've got, I've got an eight card, but I'm not sure whether it will work in your camera because um, some some cameras um, can't uh, recognise bigger cards because they were designed before these cards were kind of on the horizon. So we weren't really sure about that. And she said to me, she said, well, you know, didn't you used to have um, a device that you could just plug the card into and it would offload the pictures and I could wipe it and start again. And I did. I had a little hard drive, kind of an external USB hard drive that had a card slot in. Um, so you could plug a card in and then press a button, it would copy the card to the hard drive. The problem with it is, is that it was a kind of a cheap Chinese unit and it wasn't very reliable. Um, and also it didn't have a screen on it. So uh, you, unless you plugged the drive into a computer, you couldn't actually verify that it copied the file the picture files over properly which kind of defeats the purpose of the thing in the first place so anyway i i uh, did some testing and finally found a couple of four gig cars that were working her camera and sent her away with that but i started thinking that i had to for the next time i encountered this problem like i might want to address it now you might be saying oh hang on a minute david you've got an ipad um why not just use the camera connection kit and i do own the camera connection kit and very good it is too the problem with that solution was that a in this instance she wasn't going to have my ipad with her uh, and b even though i have a an ipad with 32 gig of memory um i don't have a lot of free space on it most of the time it's often particularly if i'm on a trip it's often quite full with video and and audio files and um applications on this as well i have you know an insanely large application store on there um so I didn't really want to get in a position with my iPad that I might have to be deleting stuff to make room for photos because I was short of cards. So I thought um, perhaps taking the hard drive idea and, and uh, running with it might be a better option. So I started looking around and you can get these photo tank type devices, Epson makes one and um, HyperMac who I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast uh, also do one as well. But man, these things are expensive, really expensive. Um, and I didn't want to spend a lot of money, so I started looking back in time at uh, older uh, 
products that that did the same thing and i finally settled one found it pretty cheap on ebay and uh i'm really really pleased with it actually it's called the um smart disc flash tracks um and again this dates from around about the same time as the peerless it's probably 2001 2002 uh, and uh, it kind of does exactly what i wanted it to do it um has a card slot in it in this case it's a compact flash slot but that's not a problem for an sd cards because you can get a pretty cheap adapter that allows you to plug an sd card into a compact flash slot um and then this thing has a flip up screen and a 40 gig drive in it so uh, effectively what you do is obviously you plug your card in flip the screen up and hit a couple of controls and it will copy your pictures off your card movies as well onto the internal hard drive now the screen is pretty low resolution but it is color and it can view it. you can show a picture on it so um you can actually run through your photos after you offload them and verify that the uh, machine has actually taken them and put them on the drive plus there's also a fairly decent file browser which shows you the actual directory structure on the drive too so you can actually see that your pictures have been copied over it's not insanely fast and um, probably takes about three four minutes to copy a, a four gig card um but um that's not really a problem um it's not the sort of thing you need to do in a rush there are some basic editing facilities on there as well but as i said the screen is pretty low res and it's also not got a great color resolution so it's probably not a good place to um, edit your photos but it does have a couple of other neat tricks that uh, might be of interest it does playback video and audio so you can kind of use it as a as a cheap ipod in a pinch um it's not something i'd necessarily recommend you do but kind of you know it's there probably something you could kind of give to the kids and let them use if you uh, want to take on a trip and they didn't have a, a music player so it kind of is useful in a pinch it has an internal battery um that's rechargeable and um not a huge battery life probably about two three hours but uh you know, batteries have come a long way since then, but, um, you know, hey, it's there. It does work off an AC adapter as well. Um, but one of the other neat things it does, uh, I've not tried this yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, is it has video out. So you can actually offload your photos onto the flash tracks and then plug it into a TV uh, or a monitor and then actually view them on a decent screen as opposed to the crappy one built into the flash tracks. Um, and actually review them that way uh, or maybe present them or uh, show them to uh, to people if you're on a trip so that's quite a neat feature as well uh, it comes with all the cables to let you do that straight out of the box so um, that's pretty good um, uh, so as I say I'm pretty pleased with it because it, it it's fairly easy to use um, you can literally just plug the card in not even flip the screen up and hit the copy button and it will then go away and start offloading your photos to the internal drive and uh, the acid test obviously will be to give it to my wife next time she needs to copy photos off her card and see how she gets on with it but um, yeah I'm pretty pleased with it and as I say by going old tech rather than with the latest modern stuff um, it, it's pretty cheap I think I paid about I think I paid £30 for it so about $45 off eBay um, for the one I've got you'll find by looking on eBay that there's plenty of people who are um, you know kind of have upgraded so are selling these things off now and plenty of uh, photographers have bought this stuff over the years so if it is something that interests you um, it's something that can be found fairly easily um, you know and I know as well that obviously 
a lot of people aren't into eBay or don't really trust eBay. So uh, there's always Craigslist and um, Gumtree and, and these various other services that, that allow you to buy this kind of old tech. And it's also worth looking at uh, websites like Gazelle who um, who buy old things off people and then resell them on. So um, you can do that as well uh, if you're not particularly into eBay. But uh, that's probably worth um, another a topic for another show. Um, is uh, is talking about eBay and, and how to be successful at eBay and how to avoid getting scammed on eBay. Some of the pitfalls. So uh, I'll, I'll bear that in mind and maybe have a chat to Tim about it. It might be, a, might be something that's worth talking about at a later date because it is an incredibly good source of gadgets, um, both new and old. And um, yeah, it's pretty good. So So that's definitely a topic for another show, I think. But anyway, I think I've uh, probably rambled off uh, rambled on enough for one evening uh, and I'm very keen to get this file over to Tim so he can get edited and posted. I am running this a little bit late um, and I, on that topic, really just one final thought um, there's been a lot of debate on the internet about the availability of things like the iPad 2 and um, how people have to queue for it and lead times along on the online website and how terrible it is that some people have to queue day by day to try and get their iPad 2. And I read that and I think, well, nobody's putting a gun to their head and making them queue. Um, the iPad 2 and uh, whatever it is, whether it's the latest Android phone or the latest PC graphics card, the latest Mac, or, you know, the latest hot software game will be there tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and uh, if availability is tight because a lot of people want it well you know that's just the fact that a lot of people want it and um, sometimes that means you have to wait to get what you want and um, sometimes that's no bad thing you know you might decide you don't want it after waiting a little bit um, and even if you do well sometimes life is about waiting there's plenty of things we have to wait for um sometimes i the stuff i read in the press seems to have kind of lost perspective of that and uh you know it seems to be willing to you know if people can't have what they want as soon as they want it then that means it's a terrible disaster well i think recent events across the world have shown that you know stuff like that really isn't a disaster by any stretch of the imagination and uh particularly was disturbed to find people tying those disasters to supplies of electronic jaws like the iPad 2. Um, yes, that might be a legitimate question to ask because, you know, it affects a company's bottom line, it affects their investment profile, um, availability of stock and that sort of thing. And... Um, you know, certainly legitimate to ask questions about whether things more crucial than uh, electronic consumer gadgets, such as uh, parts for hospitals and medical machinery and, and all the sorts of things that uh, places like Japan manufacture for us here in the West um, that might have a bearing on people's lives. It's probably legitimate to ask those questions about what the impact of earthquakes and tsunamis are, but... Um, to do so on the day of the earthquake, which is what I saw one particular analyst do, um, immediately start questioning what the uh, 
impact on on Apple's supply lines might be on the day of the earthquake um, was to me highly tasteless and completely disregarding of the uh, of the terrible tragedy that was unfolding and continues to unfold in that part of the world. Um, and um, sometimes I just wish that many of us here in the West would recognise that uh, you know, access to the latest bits of technology is, is not the most important thing in the world. The things like family and friends and, and uh, you know, the suffering of our fellow human beings are just as important, more important, in fact, by a long stretch. So um, just a thought to, to be going on with. Anyway, um, on that down note, I'm sorry if you found that a down note, but uh, I just call it as I see it, really. Uh, and uh, that's probably a downside of just being mean here, talking to myself, is that uh, my thoughts wander in whatever way they want to wander, and uh, I want to share them with you. So anyway, um, if you want to get in touch with me and uh, try and bring me up or <laughs> criticise me for bringing you down, then I, <laughs> by all means do that. You can find me on Twitter, I'm David B. Cohen. Um, Feedback for the show um, is just uh, feedback at mymac.com is, uh, is a good good way of getting feedback to us. Um, I hope you'll be listening next week. I think... No, I'm not going to say for certain that Tim's back next week because I'm really not absolutely sure at this point. But he'll be back at some point. If it's not next week, it'll be the week after. Um, and um, hopefully I'll be back next week if Tim likes what I've done this week. And uh, anyway, I look forward to uh, speaking to you soon. Take care, everyone.